When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hi everyone, Connor here. If you don't know already, we have launched Intelligence Squared Premium. For bonus content, early access listens, and exclusive extras, just head to iq2premium.supercast.com or see the link in the episode description. Your support helps us to produce more amazing podcasts, stage more live debates each year, and it will bring you even closer to the world's most brilliant minds. And if you're an Apple Podcast person, hit subscribe for the bonus extras from your podcasts app too. Thanks again for all your support. Welcome to Intelligence Squared. I'm Connor Boyle. Today on the podcast, we're looking back at the shock resignation of Prime Minister Liz Truss after just 45 days in office. Yesterday, on Wednesday, October 20th, Liz Truss resigned as Prime Minister of the UK. She was forced out after a series of dramatic U-turns and an economic plan that sent the markets into frenzy and threatened the financial stability of the country, according to the Bank of England. In a brief speech outside Downing Street, Liz Truss said the Conservative Party had elected her on a mandate of tax cuts and economic growth. But given the situation, she said, I recognise that I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected to be the leader. Now the Labour Party and Sir Keir Starmer are waiting in the wings across the country, calling for a general election, while the Conservatives are plotting to elect a new leader next week. And just three months out since our last emergency podcast on the resignation of a Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, who was forced to step down, he now appears to be back in the frame for the leadership once again. So how did this all unfold and what's next for Britain and the Conservative Party? Well, we're joined by two guests to help us make sense of the events. Sonia Soda, columnist and author, she's written for The Guardian and The Observer. She was also a senior advisor to Ed Miliband when he was the leader of the opposition and Sherelle Jacobs, journalist and columnist at The Daily Telegraph. Well, thank you so much to both of you for joining us today. If I could start with you, Sherelle, it's been a very turbulent few weeks. I wondered, were you surprised when you saw that Liz Truss stepped down or was the writing on the wall? I was surprised that she actually stayed for an extra week. I was shocked by her decision to sack her chancellor and attempt to distance herself from a economic strategy which was completely her own. And I was disappointed, actually, with the lack of honour which she demonstrated. And I think that uh, it's not surprising that it only lasted a week, uh, that she had 
at the end of the day, pivoted so far from what she sold to the MPs who elected her and how she presented herself as um, the prime minister that she wanted to be, and that it was only a matter of time before people lost confidence in her. And in fact, the very people who supported her so vociferously um, had to withdraw that support. And, and Sonia, the same question to you. First of all, were you surprised that she stepped down? And what will her legacy be? Has she killed off the libertarian wing of the Conservative Party now? Um, so first of all, was I expecting it? I mean, I have to say, I thought after the mini budget and the market reaction, I thought it was over for her as Prime Minister. Um, and I you know, didn't know how long it was going to take. I thought possibly it would take months. But I thought at that point, after I saw the market reaction, I thought it was very unlikely that she would fight the next general election as Prime Minister and Conservative Party leader. I've been surprised at how quickly it happened, though, I have to say. I thought that when she replaced her Chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng, with Jeremy Hunt, I thought that might buy her some time with her party, although I have to say that I thought it left her completely and utterly powerless, her authority completely shot with her own parliamentary party. And I think the reason why it all started to move very quickly was we saw those scenes on Wednesday in Parliament this week where there was a pretty um, critical vote. It was a Labour opposition day motion but you know the Conservatives first of all tried to make it a confidence vote then a three-line whip then possibly a confidence vote again who knows but it became very clear through the course of that vote and the scenes that we saw in Parliament with you know MPs sort of arguing and surrounding each other in the voting lobbies that Liz Truss had completely lost the authority of her parliamentary party and once that happens I mean it just doesn't work in a parliamentary system you can't if you can't govern as Prime Minister because you don't have a majority of MPs in Parliament supporting you. You can try and go on, but it's very difficult to do so. And um, I think that's why she she decided uh, to resign. Um, and then I've forgotten the f- first part of your question or the second part of your question. What was it, Connor? What do you think her legacy will be or what do you think the impact will be now of this right. short premiership? Will we see a new Conservative Party or do you think, you know, the sort of Suella Braverman and people who initially stood with Liz Truss will be re-energised and want to make a run for leadership? Well, I think there's, I think there's two legacies. So first of all is the sort of real legacy on the economy. And I think that um, the damage that she caused by announcing the mini budget, the reaction that we saw, the market reaction, which plenty of people forewarned, um, that has done long-term damage to the economy. And you can't ever take that back, even though most of the mini budgets measures have been reversed. You can't ever get back that level of confidence there was uh, before the mini budget. So that things are going to be worse over the next few months directly as a result of actions that Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng have taken and that can't be taken back and those are real impacts in terms of the impact on people's mortgages, the impact on inflation, spending cuts that may be required as a result, um, although we'll have to see, but you know, uh, which will really affect things like hospitals, schools, potentially um, people's uh, benefits for those in low paid work, people with disabilities. So that's the first most important legacy. The second legacy is in terms of the Conservative Party. Um, I mean, I personally think that the Conservative Party is is basically reaching the point of ungovernability now. And um, it's extremely divided. Uh, There will, of course, be those who share Liz Truss's um, sort of ideological devotion uh, to Trussonomics on the right of the party. And what they will say will be, you know, that it just wasn't done right. And that actually, if we had a chance to do it right, it might work. 
Um, but I do think that, um, that, that for now, it puts to bed this idea that um, you can achieve growth at any point in time through a low growth, uh, low regulation state, which is essentially um, the ideal of um, quite a few people in the Conservative Party who were gunning for Brexit and making the case for Brexit. Frankly, I think if you look at the economic evidence, there's very, very little evidence that you can achieve growth through shrinking the state um, and and cutting taxes. If you look at the sort of macro um, evidence, in fact, I think growth comes from when you invest in things that improve your productivity, things like skills and infrastructure, for example. So I do think that um, it was a terrible experiment that went wrong. Uh, We're all going to pay the price. And I think that those people won't go away in the Conservative Party. They'll still make their case. Uh, but I don't think they're going to be a very a very strong faction going forwards, depending on what happens in the leadership election, though, of course. And I'm sure we're going to come along to that. Yeah. And Sherelle, if I could just yeah. take you yeah. take you in on I that. Mean, because, I do, go there's ahead. a lot that I disagreed with there. Mm. I think, first of all, it's incorrect to say that you know, libertarianism has been proved to be, um, you know, incapable of generating growth. I actually have quite a nuanced view personally on libertarianism, but I would say in defense that you know, at the end of the day, Liz Truss's policies weren't attempted. And by that, I mean all of the supply side reforms as well and the deregulation. We just simply never got there. So we'll never know. And at the end of the day, for her, it was quite bad timing. Um, she did go too far, too fast. And you know, when we are going through what is an economic paradigm shift globally, it's a bit like fog. And it's and instead of you know putting hitting down the accelerator during the fog, you probably need to slow down. And that's why we had that market reaction. Um, I also think it is not very honest to say that it's all down to Liz Truss and the mini budget and the experiment. We are going through a paradigm shift here and the era of cheap credit of low interest rates is over. And that is over because of a combination of COVID and locking down and then trying to relaunch the economy and treating it like the Great Recession and printing lots of money quantitative easing and overheating the economy. And that's happened not just in the UK, but across the world. We see it in the US as well with their trillion dollar attempt to to reboot their economies through quantitative easing, which has massively backfired. And also, of course, we have Ukraine. And it looks that inflation is very sticky at the moment and inflation psychology is starting to to, um, become the factor. Um, And also, we also saw the fragility in the asset management space with the LDI pensions. And that is a scandal in itself. And that is a regulatory failure. So there's, there are lots of things going on. And I'm not you know, totally comfortable with this idea that everything is down to this trust. But I would say that there is a legacy for her. Unfortunately, she has probably poisoned the well for you know, that sort of deregulating low tax approach to economics and that's a shame so from what i'm hearing from you Cheryl, in terms of the paradigm shift you're saying it's not all liz trust's fault but mm. how could liz trust then it was the writing always on the wall that she was stuck in a bind or how could she have been a successful leader? yeah yeah i thought i thought about this and when i didn't actually back to liz trust um during the summer leadership election um and i was skeptical about her for various reasons and obviously then she made you know, the error right at the beginning with the mini budget. 
I did think for a moment, actually, maybe she can come back from this. If she holds her nerve, if because the if the markets calm down, if inflation does start to come down, because at that point, energy uh, wholesale energy prices were coming down. But actually, in hindsight, I'm wondering whether she was actually doomed from the start because inflation, as I say, it looks like it's not going to come down. She would have needed that to come down for growth, and which isn't happening. And again, Downing Street, and actually nobody <laughs> who works in the financial markets for, saw the problem with the pensions. Um, and that, that is a huge regulatory failure. Um, and that needs to be looked at because, I mean, that is a problem, right? If you want to implement policies which are going to cause, you know, market disruption and you have this sort of shadow banking um, and pe- asset management pen- uh, industry where people over the last 10 years have been concentrating risk and leverage, disguising it as derivative products. I mean, that is an accident waiting to happen now. And so maybe she was doomed from the start. Maybe she was. Well, that's an interesting thought. Sonia, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how Labour are interpreting these unfolding events. And obviously they're called for a general election in the last few days, but what do you think Labour should be doing right now? Um, other than calling for a general election? Well, I think they're doing exactly the right thing in calling for a general election. And actually, I think if you look at polling, it shows that there's a very, very large majority of the public in favour of a general election, which isn't really a surprise. This would be um, the second prime minister imposed on the country without a general election, without people getting a say. We're now in circumstances completely different from 2019. We've had a COVID pandemic. We've had um, a massive uh, global uh, economic shock. And um, the 2019 manifesto appears to have been ripped up and you know Liz Truss tried something that she had absolutely zero democratic mandate for um, in terms of a general election. So you can see why Labour have positioned themselves in the way they have and I think they're actually right to do so from a kind of ethical, a substantive perspective too. I think what they um, also need to do though is I mean in some ways you've just kind of got a you can you can see the Conservative Party sort of imploding um, you know before our very eyes and it's very hard to see how they're going to unite behind one leader, one new prime minister, whoever that is. We're not going to have a general election, though, unless Conservative MPs wish for there to be one because you have to have enough of them uh, to vote for it to make it happen. So I think what Labour really need to focus on um, is ensuring that the next general election, they're not just winning it because the Conservatives are losing it, but because people are proactively getting behind Labour because of the vision that they've set out for the country as well. I think they started to do that quite well actually in recent months Uh, but they've definitely got further to go and I think the difficulty for them is that in times of great economic uncertainty it actually becomes harder to sort of carve out an alternative vision because the kinds of things that really say what you're about as a party you know I'm I'm talking about really big ideas like free universal childcare um, you know an NHS style entitlement to older care for example quite sort of society uh, shifting ideas uh, but they all take money and it's quite hard to pledge that credibly at a time when there's a lot of economic uncertainty so I think they really need to focus on on um, on the answer to those questions.
Just a reminder, you can support Intelligence Squared and get even closer to the world's most brilliant minds by signing up for Intelligence Squared Premium. Head to iq2premium.supercast.com or see the link in the description to get started. And Apple folks, we've got you covered too. Hit subscribe for some bonus extras on your podcast app. Thanks for all your support. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp because whether you're thinking about challenges big or small, let's not dress it up life can be pretty stressful, so it's healthy to have a place to discuss those thoughts and share what's on your mind. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. We've heard from plenty of the biggest thinkers on psychology and wellness on this podcast, and it's clear that therapy doesn't always have to be solely about addressing some big scary trauma. It could just be a way to learn a few new coping skills and empower you to become the best version of yourself. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime with no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com intelligence today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P slash intelligence. The events calendar is filling up here at Intelligence Squared, and to create each one, we obviously rely on some brilliant guests and onstage talent. But behind the scenes, there's also a producer, a production team, and the budget in the mix too. You've got to keep an eye on all of that stuff in one place. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. And you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because it's super easy to get started. NetSuite exists in the cloud, you see. No hardware needed. So you're cutting IT costs too. That's why over 37,000 companies have already made the move. And now by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-the-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash squared. That's netsuite.com slash squared. netsuite.com slash squared. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. And Sherelle, what are your thoughts? Should there be a general election? And if not, how do we not just presume we'll be in the same? We've had two prime ministers in quick succession. How do we know if? there's another Conservative Party leadership election, we won't just be here again in a few months with another unpopular leader dividing the party. Yeah, well, we see this momentum behind Boris Johnson at the moment. And if Boris Johnson does become prime minister, I do think that this conversation about whether or not there's going to be a general election is going to be squashed. I don't think that there's necessarily that much appetite for it. Um, The country is going through uh, a very tumultuous time economically we just need to get some clarification exactly where we are and a lot of that depends on you know what else is happening globally especially the united states where (laughs) i mean their attempt to aggressively crush inflation appears to be spectacularly backfiring Uh, so i think actually what we need is just to hold our breaths and see where we are there's going to be a new prime minister Um, by the end of next week. 
perhaps even before then. And as I say, if it's Boris Johnson, then this argument in favour of a general election is weakened because, of course, he has previously won an election and he has a mandate. Sonia, I wonder what your thoughts on that are. If Boris Johnson comes back, what does it say about Britain as a country to the wider world that someone who can be kind of defenestrated publicly by their party and a couple months later come back as a prime minister? Well, I think it makes us a bit of a laughing stock, and we were a laughing stock at the point at which Boris Johnson uh, departed in many ways. I mean, the stories about Downing Street parties were being reported on by media all across the world. But I think also there's a sort of um, deeper point about what it, it, the message the Conservative Party sends to the electorate. Um, Boris Johnson was deeply unpopular, not quite as pop- unpopular as Liz Truss, it has to be said, but deeply unpopular by the time he left office. And there was a lot of anger about the way he conducted himself in public office, not just the facts uh, around kind of the gatherings in Downing Street, the Downing Street parties, I think sort of, you know, very clearly broke uh, COVID regulations at a time when people were making huge sacrifices in order to protect the NHS and save lives um, during the toughest times of COVID, but also the way that he handled himself in Parliament. And we've got this Standards and Privileges Committee investigation ongoing, well, actually hasn't got quite got off the ground yet um, into whether he misled Parliament. Now, that could could be incredibly damning. It could result in a suspension for him from um, uh, from the Commons, depending on what they find. It could even result in a recall p- uh, petition and a by-election potentially. So I think the fact that the Conservatives uh, and some Conservative MPs clearly are talking him up and considering bringing him back, I think it's quite a snub uh, to the electorate, to voters who had so clearly lost faith in him, which is one of the reasons why so many ministers decided to resign from his government, 65, let's let's not forget. And um, I just think it's extraordinary that a governing party might think about bringing back a prime minister who is under investigation by the Standards and Privileges Committee. I mean, even, even that investigation is quite unprecedented in and of itself. So um, I think it really marks a low point for the Conservative Party. I can actually see it happening. I could see 100 MPs potentially backing him and him going forward uh, to a vote of the members. But I think it says a lot about the Conservative Party, their governability, their levels of desperation of Conservative MPs looking at the next election, thinking, well, you know, it's really bad. So why not just better the devil that you know? Um, So, yeah, I I, I don't think it's going to go down well with the country. Um, And I think if you talk to pollsters, they say he's still he's still a toxic brand in the country at large. I think there's polls actually that that show sort of potentially him versus Rishi Sunak uh, uh, that that show that. So, um, yeah, I think it's a real indictment of the modern Conservative Party and and shows that they really do need a spell of opposition. And Sherelle, just coming back to you, do you worry about, you know, what it means for democracy for a leader to come back so soon? It worried me that we were going to go through uh, potentially our second non-elected prime minister. That's what worried me. It worries me slightly less, if I'm honest, if there is a return of Boris, because at least he did win a landslide majority and there is some level of approval there, democratic approval from the public. Look, I mean, there's no denying it. The Tories are at death's door right now. They are emitting the same 
quote, dismal, rattling, unquote, sound, um, as the liberals did in the early 20th century. That's a quote from George Dangerfield's great book, Strange Death of Liberal England, which I was reading recently. And it did um, give me chills because that's exactly where the Tories are. They are, this is the world's oldest and most successful political party, which faces annihilation. And they are desperate. That doesn't necessarily mean that Boris Johnson is not a gamble that might not pay off. What's interesting, actually, is the polling that's coming out from conservative voters in 2019. So that includes people in the red wall. And he is not only the most popular candidate, but a majority of those voters think that it was actually wrong for him to resign, according to the latest opinion polling, which I find very interesting. So let's just see what happens. Boris Johnson is an interesting case as well. Even if you look at it from the economic perspective, because Boris Johnson, is he's not establishment, right? And so at the moment, we are and about to come under tremendous pressure to reintroduce austerity in order to fight inflation. That is what the IMF wants us to do. That is what Rishi Sunak appeared to be veering towards during the summer leadership contest when he was very reluctant to put up interest rates. And he started subtly talk about maybe people on benefits need to get back to the workplace because it's causing, it's contributing to inflation. And now we've seen with Jeremy Hunt coming in and announcing all of these cuts that there is potentially, if you put in someone like Rishi Sunak, going to be quite a hard austerity because that is the orthodoxy which is emerging internationally. And at least with someone like Boris Johnson who lives to be popular, that might necessarily be the case because he will want to be as close as possible to his 2019 mandate, which was much more generous in terms of spending on public services. And so at the moment, from an economic perspective, I personally am leaning towards a Boris scenario as being preferable for the country. And that's not just economics. You've got to think about it from a perspective of the country's stability as well, because at the, at the end of the day, we are reeling from elite errors, right? First of all, the catastrophic failure of a generation to be self-sufficient in energy and to think that we could just import it from abroad. That was one mistake. And the other mistake is, of course, the quantitative easing after lockdowns. And to then implement an austerity, to punish people for mistakes which were made by politicos is, for me, it's just a no-go. But there are some people in the Conservative Party, the so-called sensible wing, the so-called grown-ups, who think that this is viable. And I think that at least, (laughs) at least with the Boris Johnson scenario, you're not going to get that. There's an elephant in the room when we talk about these issues. And Sonia, if I could bring you in on this, uh, many people will say that the economic crisis, of course, it's contributed to why the war in Ukraine, the energy crisis, inflation coming from the COVID era, but also the role of Brexit and all this. And it's something which, uh-huh. you know, uh, Liz Truss has sort of avoided speaking about. And, you know, Britain opted for a very hard version of Brexit. I wonder how much of an impact... Well, Britain didn't. I think I think uh, it was Boris Johnson who opted for it. Well, yeah. Boris Johnson opted yeah. for it. I wonder how much of yeah. a role you think that hard Brexit decision is playing into the kind of uh, sort of rolling crises we're seeing now. Yeah, it, it 
absolutely has had an impact. So, of course, there are global forces, um, global headwinds in the economy, uh, the energy price shock that's resulted from the war in Ukraine. Uh, that has had a big impact on the economy and it's, it's affecting economies all around the world. But there is no doubt that the UK has made our, we've made our issues a lot, the global issue, a lot worse. First of all, we've got this long term productivity issue that really dates the sort of last, you know, it's, it was masked by uh, the buoyant financial sector in the 2000s. Uh, but um, really, the, the growth that we've seen since 2008, 2008 financial crisis, it's the second lowest in the G7. And it's, it's very sluggish. So we have this issue with productivity and growth that we've never addressed that requires long term economic reform to sort out. And I really think investment, as I was saying, in skills and infrastructure. Then second, you know, we've got an economy that has relied too much on consumption, on, on consumer spending for growth that's been fueled by a house price bubble um, and by debt, uh, people sort of remortgaging their houses. And George Osborne in 2008, after the financial crisis 2009, the shadow chancellor promised to rebalance the economy away from consumer spending, more towards investment-led and export-led growth. Now, we've actually gone backwards on that measure. And the recovery that some economies have been seeing recently after the pandemic, and even in the face of the global oil shock, it's all been export-led. We've actually gone backwards on exports, and that is because of Brexit. You know, it, there is no doubt that throwing up trade barriers with our closest and biggest trading bloc, the EU, was going to have a profound impact on GDP. And some estimates have said that it's going to cost us, you know, 5% of GDP in the long term. Now, that sounds like a statistic, but actually that that is real people's money. That's people's wages. Um, that's, you know, taxes that go into the exchequer. It's something we, it's a huge negative shock, totally self-inflicted that we couldn't afford before the last kind of two, three years. And it is certainly something that we can't afford now. So I think the headline is really tough time globally. And it's one that Britain has chosen to make much, much worse through Brexit and then through um, this awful mini budget uh, that Liz Truss, Liz Truss kind of uh, threw into the mix. But the Brexit thing is a long term structural thing. We've made exports much harder. It's exactly the opposite of the fix that our economy needs to address um, long term productivity growth. Well, my final question, and I'll come to Sherelle first, is who do you think is going to be prime minister next week? And do you think they have the ability to stabilise the British economy and win the next general election? Mm, I think it's going to be Boris Johnson. Do I think that he has all of the answers? No. I think that nobody has the answers. I don't think that Labour has the answers either. They have committed to no borrowing to um, sustained spending and to balancing the books and that amounts to having zero plans for growth. So to be fair to all the politicians across all the different parties, this is a very difficult time and it's also quite tough to predict where it's going to end. I have this intuition that it ends with endemic inflation and higher interest rates, unfortunately. So we will see. I mean, the question is, can the Conservative Party get behind whoever emerges um, as victorious next week? I'm not sure, but they are very spooked by just how far they've fallen. And maybe 
a bit like during the nadir of the Theresa May days, maybe this is the shock that they need in order to pull together. But I would say that it's going to be Boris Johnson just judging by the momentum. We've had numerous Red Wall MPs um, declare their support for him. And I think Ben Houchen has also declared today as well. So that's quite a big moment in terms of where things are heading. And Sonia? I think a lot depends on whether Boris Johnson can get the um, minimum number of 100 MPs. I think if he doesn't, it will be Rishi Sunak. Um, I think if he does, even if he gets fewer MPs than Rishi Sunak, I can't see him, you know, in the indicative vote of MPs that there's going to be. I can't see him voluntarily withdrawing and avoiding the need to go to members. So I think he will probably run and I think he would probably win amongst the membership. And I think it's a dead cert, but I think he would probably win. So I think a lot depends on what happens this weekend and how many MPs back Boris Johnson. That's a really critical thing. When the leadership contest was announced, um, you know, sort of 18 to 24 hours ago, I thought there's no way that Conservative MPs would do this. They know that Boris Johnson's a toxic brand. I now think it's it's more likely. And I think that's because um, MPs, Conservative MPs are quite desperate. And I think when they're desperate, they will do things. We've seen this from the Conservative Party before that aren't necessarily in the national interest. But I think they'll also think, well, you know, we've as good as lost the next election anyway. So why not just give Boris Johnson another shot in case he can pull something out of the bag? I think it would be absolutely terrible for the country. I think it would be really bad for the Conservative Party brand as well. I'm not sure it will recover from it. Um, but I do think it's it's more of a possibility than I thought yesterday. Well, we'll wait to see what happens on Monday. I'd like to thank Sonia Soda and Cheryl Jacobs for a fascinating conversation. I'm Connor Boyle and you've been listening to Intelligence Squared. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Head to iq2premium.supercast.com for even more content made just for our premium listeners, including extended Q&As, event discounts, and our newsletter too. Thanks for being a part of Intelligence Squared.